0: Yes. All right. Hello, everybody out there, loyal listeners, and everyone else. <laughs> this is Tai Chu, founder and executive director of Listen for a Change. And I am here with Ms. Aisha Jamila Tripp. You know it. Full <laughs> cool government
1: name out there. <laughs>
0: Wait, so tell us a little bit. I know you know we did a little intro last time, but I feel like you got to tell people every time all that you do with Listen First. Just like you know, hit, right. hit off the different labels here.
1: I mean, historically, you know, prior to the COVID, I was our Oakland MC. Um, when yep. we get past this, I'm hoping to resume that position and share it with others. Um, also, story coach, a story coach, board member. Um, fellow thought partner and friend with Ty. This friendship has been going on strong now 10 plus years. Ten yeah. plus years. We, need to c- we need to celebrate friendship anniversaries.
0: We do. We do. Ten you're, days. I mean, you're a fellow creative. You are also, I will say one of the um, few people I know personally who suffer from doing too much like I do, like doing the most and then doing a little extra yeah. on top of that.
1: All day, all day. We definitely have been diagnosed. We're being treated. We're trying to figure this out. You know, if you guys have any type of like intervention plans, things that can help, you know, people like us who do too much, but we do too much from a good place. It's from a good place.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not, I want to clarify. So what I mean by doing too much is not, you know, busy body, just, you know, working too much and being a workaholic yeah. per se. It's that you know where where i feel like i bond with you is that you are a true creator and you are doing the most in terms of always having projects at every stage of the process in your life at once Something that is bubbling in your mind that isn't even part of a conception yet. something that is in the works and in the midst of it, something that is in post-production, something that you are promoting. So, like every single stage of the game, you have yeah. a separate project going on.
1: Yeah, and s- same same for you. and it you know, I think that's really reflective of life, if you think about it. Like we're constantly progressing. We're constantly evolving. We are projects in the making. We're not just one thing. So, I mean, is it a bad thing? I don't think it is. And I I don't think we're alone. I'm pretty sure there are plenty of people, even the people listening right now, they got multiple things that they're creating, you know, collaborating, birthing, whatever type of word you wanna put onto it.
0: Birthing?
1: Yeah, it's like it's a labor of love, you know? There's all all types of like, if you wanna create metaphors behind it. (laughs)
0: You know, I, 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 I'm with you. I don't think that it's a bad thing. I think where the tension builds mm-hmm. and we, we talk about this quite often between the two of us where, where we reach breaking points or, you know, points of just being exhausted and work to the yeah. bone is that we don't necessarily live in a society that, that values and necessarily funds mm-hmm. actively funds and I'm not just talking resources, but, like, funding with attention, funding with, you know, like, day-to-day promoting living. day-to-day. Mm-hmm. I don't know that creators are given, and an artists, too. Like, you're you're yeah. a true artist. And I don't know that they're given the space and resources mm-hmm. in society. Like, the value of going to theater, the value of, um, in school, like, focusing on the arts, right? Like, we're yeah. seeing, as time progresses, that being chipped and chipped and chipped away. Oh.
1: Because, you know, it's interesting, last week um, with uh, my job at Making Waves, um, we're, we're wrapping up the I Am a Leadership Conference, and myself mm. and two other colleagues, we led um, a wellness as identity workshop. And we've been doing this now with students, creating a space once a month to talk about wellness in conjunction with identity. And long story short, we all had to talk about these different aspects of wellness and where we're striving and where we're struggling, and occupational wellness came up. And I ended up sharing with the group, I was like, you know, it's interesting because my occupation isn't one thing. And I feel like we live in a society that tries to tell us, get this job, be one thing, and then Mm -hmm. also get the job that's going to provide stability, that's going to provide comfort, and that's going to provide income. But it's not about pursuing things that bring you joy, that bring Um, contribution and um, upliftment to your community. And I feel like the arts, the creators, that's what we do. And that's why we create multiple things. And what I ended up sharing was, you know, I'm doing everything from consulting and coaching students to writing plays and films, to podcasts, to, you know, community work. Like, why does it have to be one thing? But that goes to your point around society. Like they don't value currently the arts or creators Or allowing us to just, you know, dabble in multiple things.
0: No, for real. Like, shout out to all the people out there, all of you and anyone that you know who do multiple things, who, you know, I think it's seen as a negative in our society to bounce from career to career, to not have a single focus. Like, even from the onset of college, right? It's like, what are you majoring in? What are you going to study? what are you going to be for the rest of your life? And and <laughs> not to knock on that for some people, yeah. because like, God bless the people that I know who knew that they were going to be accountants or engineers or pharmacists That's right crazy. at 18, but that wasn't me. No. And it still is not me. And I think that there is kind of this stigma within yeah. society that you are lost, that mm-hmm. you might not have a direction that you are not contributing in the world, that you're not quite an adult yet.
1: Yeah. right, Or you're, or it's looked at as like hobbies and yeah, side jobs. And that's why I make an effort in like all spaces to name, like, I am a writer. Like mm. I do have to acknowledge that my current job does employ me and provide that direct income, but mm. I have received income from my writing as well, but it's not about the the value of money that makes me who I am. I am always and forever a writer, period, at the end of the day. And I agree. And I think like, you know, we just need, I don't know. We just need to change that narrative because it's not, you don't have to just be one thing. And there's nothing wrong with intention and focus on one thing. Because even as a creator, you still need that intention and focus. I just feel like people need a little bit more freedom to do things that aren't as traditional. Yeah, That's maybe the
0: word. That's it just hilarious. it sucks that it's a, it ends up being a hustle for people yeah, because it's not supported because like you say you get paid for your writing I get paid for my photography and my storytelling but it isn't valued to the same extent True. as you know like developing the next app you know, for yeah, like, you're know, you
1: not going to get a 401k with your photography and with my writing as right. of right now unless and society, like, mm-hmm, go ahead. Unless, like they, they have it set up in a way where it's only like an anomaly, an anomaly? Did I say that right? Anomaly. Yes. Anomaly, or like only a select few can make it to that area, like of like, and then those people end up making millions and millions of dollars. And it's like, well, why can't a photographer or a writer make it just as much as an engineer?
0: I, I argue, I would argue that the value of what you do, what I do, what other creatives do ultimately has as much if not more value in society than i mean no knock on software engineers out there but you all be making a lot of money right but like as much as a software engineer right and like so much of the so much of the world is it turns on art and storytelling and yeah. social science and humanities and history and all of these rich aspects that make us human and not robots and not just efficient you know programmed whatever right and like Mm
1: -hmm. that's
0: real and we have to support that
1: and that goes along with um and there's obviously conversations memes articles reports studies on this too with like educators our teachers Mm. yeah it's crazy i'm obviously we are not the first person people to say this but let's just put it out there it is crazy that a teacher in california can make up to 35000 40000 a year, if that, at a public school where you are having a caseload of over, depending if you're in the middle school, you could have up to 90 students that you're in charge of, mm. or even at elementary school, you could have like 36 to 40 students, mm. no other additional support, not enough supplies, and you have to foster, educate, and grow and nurture all these young minds. Like that within itself is insane. The fact that we don't even value that, like these are the people that are going into the world, but that's a whole other conversation. It's a whole
0: nother right. conversation, but you know what? I kind of want to go down that route. With you
1: <laughs> you want to go down there? We're going go to we'll go down that
0: route because now you have me we, thinking on- We both on... Been in.
1: You're, you're currently a teacher and we're, we're yeah. educators.
0: Yeah, So on top know. of everything else, right? And we yeah. happen <laughs> to educate on things that I think we're we're also passionate about too, which I think makes it, sorry. I, I just feel like we're like building ourselves up. I, that, that's not the point of this at all, obviously, <laughs> but- and and whatever, we're passionate about the things that we do and it's fine to, I don't own it enough. Um, mm. But with regards to education, now you have me thinking about, it's kind of like, like cancer research or like eating healthy. Like these are things that we don't always see the negative ramifications of it. Down, like I feel like it would suck to be an epidemiologist because you're constantly screaming this out loud. But like when we do our job right, you don't actually see the negative impact of it. it's yeah, And so when line. everything is going fine and smoothly, like the things that are going fine and smoothly, there is no reward for it because it's just seen as baseline. You know what I mean? Mm. And so when teachers are doing their job well, you're seeing lives like being seen and heard. You're seeing students um, having meaningful education and careers. You're seeing people as good you know, like, I don't know, people of the world, right? Like mm. teachers are doing their job when all those things are happening. Yeah. But when those things are happening, we just see it as normal. So the impact of it, we don't even see half the yeah. time.
1: And, all and so life- I think
0: we don't reward that because it's hard to measure. We measure, mm. we measure negativity, we measure detriment. We measure things that aren't going well, but when things are baseline or going well, we don't always trace yeah. it back to where these people succeeded. That and so
1: really, yeah.
0: Yeah. So like drawing a, a direct parallel, like say the stock market is doing well, right? Really high level, right? The economy is doing well, it's booming. And we're like, yay, let's applaud, let's applaud corporations. Yeah. Let's applaud CEOs. Let's ab- but like, let's now trace it back, right? Like, and, you know, we talk about trickle down. Let's talk about trickle up. Trace it down to the root of why the stock market might be doing well. It is only in a well-functioning society of educated individuals who had the chance to succeed, who had the skills to be an entrepreneur, who had the safety net and generation wealth to take risks, who had the Mm. leadership skills to hire a good Mm. team and to train a good team. All of those things stem from one individual being given an opportunity and being well-educated. Really? So what of that?
1: I love that. Cause basically what you're saying or what I'm interpreting from that is you're highlighting the process and, you know, we definitely live in an outcome driven and outcome celebrated world. Um, it's all about, you know, we look at, you know, the end result. We're focused on getting to what's going to make us the most money or what's going to get us the highest, like, you know, impact. But there's so much work at a ground level that is placed before a person could even get there. And there's a lot of not just ups, but even downs mm. during that process, because mm. there could be times where like, when you mentioned about like the baseline, when things are good, there were times where things weren't good and people mm. could have gave up. Mm-hmm. What kept them going? What kept them trying? Cause they could have just threw in the towel. And it makes me think about, you know, and shout out RIP to the late and great rapper Nipsey Hussle, who said mm. it's a marathon, not a race. And I just feel like, you know, if we could implement more conversations, implement more um, ways of media and storytelling that highlighted that process, that would not like, you know, take away the glory of the outcome, because the outcome is great. But at the end of the day, what you really keep is all the tools that you built to get there. Like I always tell my students, I was like, you know what? For all we know, tomorrow they could come out with a law tomorrow that says your degree ain't shit. Excuse my language. They could they could take away the meaning, the value of a degree, uh, in a, a masters or a PhD that you worked for, and say it doesn't mean anything. But what's the value? Is the value in the de- the degree itself, or is the value in the qualities and skill sets that were built mm-hmm. while you were um, working towards that? Mm-hmm. So, like for example, like when I was working towards getting like my masters, even though like the outcome was getting it, everything that came with that, the perseverance, the patience, the ups, the downs, the like going back and forth with my advisor, there was a lot of stuff that happened. And so even if someone were to take away the outcome, they couldn't take away what really is already embedded in my heart, which I could apply to anything else in life. And so I feel like the process and that's what I feel like you were like highlighting there. That's what needs to be highlighted.
0: No, it's real. Um, like on top we, of paying
1: our teachers more.
0: <laughs> we often amen to teachers being paid more. Like, we, can't it's we all agree on that? And- I think everyone, <laughs> uh-huh. rich, poor, white, black, Asian, like everyone across the board can agree teachers need to be paid more. Although I do, think, there, I do
1: think, I do
0: think that there is a group of people who are like a little salty that teachers get summers off. But I'm like, yeah. you try being a babysitter for nine months out of the year, let's call it what it is sometimes, and then see if you need a three-month break. All right.
1: Are you really even getting a three-month break? Because depending on your school like
0: district, two, yeah, they may not like pay ten you during
1: the, the the summer months. There's yeah. that part. And then also too, about, I would, I'm, I'm not going to put no number on it, but a good amount of teachers, even though they may have the time off, they're also using time for prepping.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I never stopped thinking about, right? Like the time that I spend thinking about grading, all of these things that are kind of invisible. It isn't yeah. just classroom time, you know, I'd love for it to be classroom time.
1: I would have loved to have stayed in a classroom. It was just that the number of students and the lack of support didn't make me feel like this was the most effective way for me personally, as an educator, because mm. the burnout is real. Yeah. And I learned over time, at least just for me personally, I, was, I think I'm more effective in smaller settings and one-on-one. Yeah. um which makes you think about privatized education over public education because the private schools were able to open before most public schools yeah. because they have a smaller population it's like well why do private schools have that why isn't that the norm of public schools why do you got to pay extra money to make sure your kids not in an overcrowded classroom like who set these rules I'm, I'm like I'm like mad.
0: <laughs> it doesn't make- get mad we need to get mad about this stuff I feel like um and it's not to say that there aren't people fighting the good fight and people sure, just being sure. really passionate. I think education is one of those things that I'll, adults are passionate about to the extent that I feel like it ends up impeding the progress of the people we should be caring about the most, which sure. are the children. Um, because I mean, we can't agree on certain things. But um, I wanna return really quickly to your, your uh, framing of process. And the things that you end up picking up along the way, because I think it ties back really well to our initial conversation about being the doer of creative things, right? Like you are Aisha Jamila Tripp because you learned everything you learned along the way, whether or not you were in a writing class or not, whether or not you were actively you know, creating a play or not, your college education, the people that you interacted with along the way, your mentors, all of that built who you are, and you take pieces of that and create the whole that you are today. And I think that's where we got to turn our lens. And I, I understand that there's some, you know, there, there's a movement towards holistic education, like creating a whole individual. Yeah. But that's kind of the danger when we create what is what it did. You say like a mono, whatever oh. the word may be, but like a single track occupation yeah. human being is that they end up maybe not having the holistic well-roundedness yeah. that we so value yeah, and we need in society honestly
1: and you know i would say just to balance it out I'm I'm not personally saying that everybody needs to have multiple occupations and multiple <laughs> projects. I'm not, I'm not advocating. I'm a testament
0: that that, that is probably not smart for no. everyone.
1: <laughs> I mean, because even for someone like myself at the end of the day, if I just sum it all up, it is just about story. No. That's just what it really is about. Story through podcast, story through writing, film, Truth. television. That's where at least Same. I live and you're there too. But what I would just advocate is just allowing people the opportunity to explore and to be curious Mm. and to feel like they can take a route um, that isn't just rooted in fear. I I literally just had a conversation with a student um, who told me the only reason why he was going to college was because he was told to, mm. and because he had this opportunity through our program because it's paid for. Mm. But he was like, but I never really know, knew if I wanted to go to college. I don't even think I really wanna be at this school. And so he's three years into this process and now he's making this leap of like faith, which I'm pretty sure a lot of people think he's crazy. He's gonna take a year off to go rediscover and re-explore. And I told him, I said, I'm proud of you for taking that step and going in a space that seems uncomfortable and fearful, but it's really, it's being led by faith in my opinion, because it's the unknown, Mm. but you're being led from a place that seems right to you as opposed to just doing what everybody told you to do. And and I'm sorry, I'm probably contradicting myself, but I'll wrap this thought up, but like, (laughs) and it's not to say that there isn't certain messaging um, from people that you can trust that can lead right. you in the right way in terms of like guiding and helping you develop um, the skills to make an empowered decision. But I feel like the powers to be in the world we live in, they don't empower us to feel confident to make a decision that, we're, um, that we feel good about. They mm. instead instill us with fear to make a decision that's gonna align with what they think is best. But yeah. that's just my opinion. And shout out to that student um, who's making that leap of faith. I'm really proud of him.
0: It's it, it's hard. And I, I hear you. I hear that student. And I think that I happen to be of a certain generation and a certain um, economic standing, both individually and within my family, that I can make that decision. I think that the part- pressure comes oftentimes from individuals of feeling like they have to of take course. a direction because of what weighs on their success their financial success specifically for sure that they have to support things and people and like support themselves in a way that is so immediate and they have to think so big and the weight is so huge on them that they can't stop take a step back and be like do i actually enjoy what i'm doing can i see myself doing this for the rest of my life and our society is you know this is the danger of one track careers it's like we, we celebrate it. We say, if you just put your head down to the grindstone and work really hard and move your way up or whatever, right? That you will, you will become the boss. You will become yeah. successful. You will be the manager one day. And that's kind of what we see as rewarded too. Like financially, um, I was actually having this conversation with a friend recently, how I feel like There are times in which I feel so effing privileged that I get to do what I do, that I get to be this, you know, head in the clouds, idealistic, um, creative ideas thinker, like that this is something my mom and my dad could never dream of doing. Mm. And that there's, there's an element of guilt that I feel from that, like, Mm. wow, should I not be doing this? You know, like there are people who have to work so hard and don't have the privilege of doing this. And then I stop in that moment. And I think my mom and my dad worked as hard as they did to put me through school so that I could do this. If they were in a similar situation themselves and hadn't escaped a war-torn country, came to a new country without anything, had to start a family of five without, you know, like with low income wages. If they hadn't been in that situation, they probably would have wanted the same for themselves. And so I'm not going to squander all that they worked so hard to get me to. I'm pretty sure they didn't work their butts off so that I could be lesser than I, po- I possibly could be.
1: Very true. Because, I mean, there's the saying that each generation is supposed to get better. Yeah. Um, that's the, supposed to. And supposed in some ways, we, right? In some ways, we are. In other ways, you're like, because, mm, but, you know, when you bring up your parents and I'm thinking about my parents, I'm thinking about my grandparents, mm. they lived in a different time in a different world. So that obviously was a different narrative for them. So it made sense, especially at that time, for that singular narrative to be more fitting at that time for some of them, if you think about it. Um, but then also, too, like there's the the things you just mentioned in terms of um, certain um, obstacles and challenges and traumas that um, our families had to overcome just so we could be living in the privilege, the blessings and luxuries that we have today. But to me, that just shows, you know what? That means I have to keep up the good fight. So then my future children, the next generation, they then too will have it better than what we had. Cause who who knows like a hundred years from now, God willing, we're all still here. The way this world is looking, but I'm gonna hold on to hope.
0: I I mean, I'm not gonna be here, but whoever else is gonna be here. I mean,
1: we won't, but you know, (laughs) it could be a time where, like, yes, as a creator, it is just as valued as like being an engineer, you know, or who knows, you know. So, but the goal is to make sure that each generation does get better. But sometimes I do look back at their generation, and some ways I'm like, yeah, they overcame a lot. And there's a lot of different things that I'm glad that. I didn't have to go through, but I do appreciate the simplicity mm. of that time and the sense of community mm. is, is specifically like talking about within American culture. Um, Cause you know, my parents talk about this, my grandparents talk about this, or they did talk about You
0: this are before. an old soul, by the way. Oh,
1: I am. I grew, <laughs> I grew up with it, but community was so big looking out yeah. for each other, you know, everybody on the block knowing everybody's name, coming over Mm. for Sunday dinners. These were normal things we did. And I'm realizing in today's generation, even though me and my cousins and close friends, we still value that, I don't really see it in the outer world the way that I think that my parents and grandparents did. And I I find a lot of value in that that I feel like in today's world, it's it's becoming even more and more individualized.
0: Yeah. And
1: even though we have options, sometimes options can be overwhelming. Yeah. Options can be a good thing, but they can also be problematic depending on how you look at it. That's just yeah. me throwing another wrench.
0: Well, you know what's causing that is you know this little little device that I have in my hand, right? It's a screen that I have in front of me right now. It's it's creating a different definition of social network. But what community is coming out of that? Right. Social network and community do not equal one another. And
1: thank
0: you. I, I like, just say that
1: one more time. Say that one more time. Just should I, should I
0: say it in my, like, <clears throat> my yeah. professor preacher voice? <laughs>
1: Please do. Please, one more time for the people <laughs> in the back.
0: <laughs> so, social network and community do not equate each other, they do not equal the same thing. Just yeah. because you have a deep or even a wide or even deep social network does not mean that you have a wide or deep community. Oh, it's true. It's true. And I it think is. that we forget that. And if I am to tease it apart, it is because social network is simply, it is, you know, so in, in I, I my background is in social science and we measure people that we study by a number called N. So like N equals 26. Yeah. That's how many people are in your study, right? So social network is just your N. It's how many people you are just raw connected with right mm-hmm. that number right there whereas community i think is it's almost like the parallel between what a house is and what a home is community has a sense of oh, just like humanity built into it
1: yes it's life there
0: is yeah it's life it's depth of relationship it's you know trust and empathy and compassion and reliance and music and arts and culture, where social network is not those things. Social network is just how many people do you know? Are you connected to? Can you turn to because I need a LinkedIn connection to or recommend me to Salesforce, and liking right? And clicking. Yeah, it's
1: not it's, the it's same. Systemic. I mean, it's it's not like it's a horrible thing, but it can't. It's re- not. They're just, it,
0: they're defined differently.
1: That human and community aspect, and we have to advocate for that because it's being lost. That's why I said to you earlier, Ty. And I'm looking your eyeballs through. Are you though? Are you looking looking, at me? But that's why I said to you earlier. I said, even though I'm here with you right now, I still miss you. I can't wait for the day, you know, that we get to see each other again. And we're gonna put this plug out there. (laughs) Me and Ty, this year, I'm gonna claim it because we're we're gonna do the Taisha traveling. I'm scared. What are
0: you about to say? Wait, we're, are you talking about our travel show?
1: Yeah, we're doing our travel show.
0: Okay. You're putting so, it out in the universe. I'm, you know, this is public. Now. I
1: mean, you were just talking about. I mean, okay, I won't say where, but what we talked about. Okay. I'm gonna go.
0: Okay. So for I I I this idea has been bubbling for years now, I think, with you in particular, that you know, my background is in visual arts, filming, photography, yada yada. Your background is in.
1: Theater, Putting film. yourself out there.
0: You like, are a talker.
1: A ta- yeah, I, I run my mouth. That's why I got a life preservation. No, own.
0: but seriously, like combine our forces together and put us in a different country. There is, there is a lot of opportunity there. And you know what?
1: I'm booking, I'm booking my ticket. I,
0: I, I'm just sick and tired of seeing travel shows with white men discovering the world for the second time. You know? Oh, the am I right though? Because
1: the first time we know what they did. <laughs> <laughs>
0: not to alienate any of our listeners and viewers out there, but yeah. Everybody. We you know, it's the, truth, the truth. It's the truth. By the way, okay, just side note. Okay. Did you want to stay by the ball growing up?
1: Of course, yes, because okay. I I totally had the biggest crush on Zach Morris. I by did. the way,
0: two things. Zach Morris, first off, is part Asian. Did you Shut know this? He's no. half Asian, Are you matter of the- fact. He is literally, his mom is full Indonesian. Fact oh. To the masses, Zach Morris so is hoppa and was wow. dying his hair like L'Oreal bleach blonde to pass as white, which is really the best instance of white passing that I've ever seen.
1: Oh my God.
0: Am I right? I knew there,
1: I knew there was something about him because I was like, there's something about this <laughs> white boy. He ain't like the mothers. <laughs> well,
0: so he's actually in the show Mixed dish right now. I don't know if you know that yeah. show. No, I didn't. And there's know. a reason why he's in the show Mixed Ish. It's not oh because they wanted God. to bring a white man. Right in right there. Now.
1: Paul, what was his name? Mark called? Paul
0: Gossler, or just type in Zach Morris.
1: Oh my gosh, I had no idea.
0: I know, it was mind blowing. Okay, so the real <laughs> reason I bring up Save by the Bell though, it taught me about, there's this <laughs> one episode where, they were trying to connect to their ancestral roots and they had to present about it in class. Or you know where I'm going with this, right? And Zach did like a Native Native American, like kind of offensive interpretation of it. And then he meets this guy that calls him running Zach and yada, yada. Like, oh my god, shout out to all the Saved by the Bell people out there. But (laughs) as a kid, I I saw this when I was probably six or seven. This was the first time I learned about reparations. Mm. Because I don't know if you remember the B plot going on in that story but jesse white jesse
1: her parents were slave owners.
0: discovered and well, not
1: or oh, that parent sorry her, i mean her ancestors
0: jesse from the 1700s oh
1: my god jesse who ended up being on that movie Showgirls. oh my god <laughs> that's
0: a whole nother episode that's a whole nother, we're not going there we're not going there today we don't have time we don't have time
1: where are they now? <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. But anyway,
0: like I learned about reparations. Like she was trying to give like okay. Lisa, the black character, like piggyback rides and like okay. buying her things. And I don't even know why this came up, but just shout out to Say By The Bell for teaching me about reparations when I was six.
1: Man, that's <laughs> um. Yo, like not any uh, another plug with Say by the Bell because there's a YouTube um, channel called Zach Morris is trash. And it it's a it's funny though. It's a guy just making fun I've of how problematic of certain episodes of Say by the Bell were oh, and for sure. referencing how Zach Morris's character did problematic things and they brought up that episode. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I still love the show. I love the Zach Morris is trash, it's hilarious. Look it up. Um, you know
0: what, like, we got a whole things like as we we talked about this, I feel like last time, but with the Michael Jackson, R. Kelly, George Washington oh. debate, but like, you know, context too. say by the bell was during a different era, not saying it was right then, but we got to hold context into things as well. And I mean, I
1: cancel literally...
0: culture is brutal.
1: Oh, gosh, we. <laughs> Want to get me started? I (laughs) feel that's not what we're talking about today. That's not okay, but you can look. So, we're (laughs) going to put it out there into the universe and put it on the record that Taisha, the traveling channel, is coming up this year. Yeah, maybe sometime in June.
0: (laughs) Well, I, yeah, okay, depending on vaccine distribution and state of the world and travel restrictions, right? TBD. TV, oh, but you know what? We're throwing it out there. It's gonna happen and you're gonna love it. Cause oh, I'm dying to see Aisha like eat something weird.
1: So, <laughs> <laughs> I just want us like to organically discover what the places that we go to have to offer us. Yeah. And I also just want to see how we travel together.
0: I'm I'm very curious. This hasn't happened and I do think at the end of the day, you love stories. I love stories, listen for changes about storytelling. And if we are to talk about the unheard voices of the world, America is loud as F. Like our people, our culture, our Hollywood is over, over, over represented our currency in the world. And I just, you know, I, I wanna use my platform, this platform. To bring light to that. And I think traveling that is traveling to me, it is learning the heartbeat, Mm -hmm. the people, the culture of different places that we don't normally see. And I'm talking like Cancun, Fiji, like Machu Picchu, like all of these places that we're like, yeah, I'm going to go to and I'm going to have this great vacation, but like, who lives there? Who are the who are the people running this place? What is the history of this place? Exactly. Like, what are the stories that are embedded in these places that we just go and like for spring break and get shit face in? Sorry mm. you, you know,
1: yeah, no, use
0: that language, but it's the truth.
1: True, true. Man, that makes you think about maybe even like the history of like tourism. Oh, don't start? get
0: me started. I have Ooh. I think about this is like aside from listen for a change, this is tourism. And the impact and the cultural, you know, like yeah, cultural um imperialism, I guess you can call it. That is something that I think of a lot, a lot.
1: Cause it makes me think about like when because obviously travel and the, the way we do it now was not what it was a hundred years ago, four hundred years ago. Cause I'm, this is random, but I remember like as a child, I used to go on in my backyard and I used to have like these make-believe adventures. I would just play with my dog, RIP Stripe. She was like the best mm-hmm. sidekick. Everything I needed her to be, she became in my own little world. But I, I share that because I was always intrigued with like, this idea of like the past in terms of like being on a ship for three months and I'm not talking about the transatlantic slave trade because I know I'm black and they're probably like I sure where are you going with this I know but I just want to
0: I didn't even think of that but I know
1: but okay but anyway (laughs) like you know just thinking about how people used to travel in terms of like on a boat or like on a horse like the Oregon Trail, all like these different ways. It was rough.
0: It was not bougie yeah. at
1: all. <laughs> and as a kid, I don't know, as a kid, I always thought that was so cool and dope.
0: Mm. And so
1: now as an adult, I'm just thinking like, what were the goals of like the travelers back then? Was it all just rooted in finding a new land and a new place to live? Or did pe- were there people out there who did want to explore and find new people to connect with? I don't know. Both. Probably,
0: you know, both like there were, you know, like it was driven by a lot of things. It was driven by, um, a drive to find a better place for them and their families. It was a drive to escape persecution or a place that they could no longer call home. It was a drive Mm. to explore and see what else was out there in the world. I always think of islands, you know, like Hawaii Mm -hmm. and thinking about the first people that came to Hawaii. Those are some crazy ass people
1: right. because and those I-
0: people set off into the open ocean one day and think of how many thousands, if not millions of people went off on boats into the middle of nothing before someone had to land on Hawaii. Think yeah. about that. Those are and, some crazy explorers.
1: And it makes you think about just like, now you're thinking about, you could think about it from a, a sociology standpoint to a, um, anthropology, just the study of like behavior, the study of humans, the group of people that were like, nah, man, I'm good. I'm just gonna stay here. We are gonna make it work. And the people that were like, no, we're gonna explore. Then it makes you think about what lineage do I come from? Mm. Like, you know, cause I mean, because you know, when you brought up that point, like, people maybe um, exploring to find something better for their families. Mm. Maybe some people were like, I'm good where I'm at. I think about even just the migration of like um, my family from Mississippi here to California. Mm. All of my grandmother's siblings, except for uh, my great aunt um, Anna Mae, she was the only one that stayed in Mississippi. Everybody else is like, we trying to get out of, out of here. they crazy as hell, they lynching folks. There's a whole like one of my um, my aunts, she got chased out by the KKK because she was mm. trying to get she was organizing people in her area um, to register to vote. Mm. And so they all came out towards California. Anime, great aunt anime was the only one that stayed because she wow. was like, this is my home.
0: She they stood around. Leave.
1: So, you know, it just makes you think about the people that decide to move, the people that don't.
0: Oh, totally. There's no
1: right or wrong. It's just like, what's like that drive? Where does that come from?
0: Well, you know, like a fun, a fun fact, um, which not all Americans know, but probably every British and Australian knows is like, they make fun of Australia for being where all the criminals are mm. because for the longest time, Britain or you know England or whatever it was at the time right was sending off their criminals their prisoners to Australia and so the culture of people that grew out of Australia are these survivors these people who had to make it in a completely foreign land like way across from where they're from and so I think the culture of Australians is kind of built off of this. Now, I can't speak on behalf of all Australians, but, you know, that's, you're right. It makes me think of, like, the people, and, you know, there's self-selection, too. My my family didn't choose to immigrate here. I think that that is a difference between refugees and immigrants that's often overlooked, right, because I sometimes call my family, like, my parents immigrants, which technically they are, but the difference is that, you know, aside from there are wealthy, just to pick on another Asian right like country, there are wealthy Chinese entrepreneurs who choose to come over here or choose yeah. to move to Nicaragua or South Africa or where wherever and start a business there and um, mm. whatever their reasons are. and that's very different than a refugee who had no choice but to leave and find a different place. Now there are Vietnamese people all around the world now in France, in Australia, in England, you name it. My family happened to come here. And it just makes me think of how just within one generation, my parents are those self-selectors. They're the ones who battled to get out of that country. Mm. And my dad is the Mm. only one out of his eight siblings who was able to leave and everyone else either perished or still is in Vietnam now. And that separates me fundamentally in one generation yeah. from my first cousin my dad's sure. sister's son who by the way it shares my name as well mm. um and we barely speak the same language and we have very different i'm sure I don't know him that well he's still in vietnam but we have very different drives and within one generation we've diverged so much that we probably would be more than just strangers we'd be mm-hmm. very Uh, We'd have a hard time connecting, I think, even though we are direct blood.
1: That makes, you know what, Ty, like as you're sharing this, that's why this is when technology is good because Mm. the story of like you and your family, it's so important to capture this and preserve it. So then as your guys' family progresses, they know where they come from and what led them here. Because hearing that made me think about like my own family, right? And like how on my mom's side, it's Mississippi. But obviously, before Mississippi, it was somewhere in Africa. Who knows? And in my dad's side, it's similar. It's like um, New Orleans, North Carolina, and Arkansas, and South Carolina. And then Carolina. who
0: knows?
1: But before that, we don't know. Because yeah. it, but the, but the, the connection is, at least from like the further west we went, it wasn't... I mean, there was per se some choice, but it wasn't like basically going back to the Mississippi example, they left Mississippi because it wasn't good for them. Mm. There were more opportunities going West, more opportunities, not only just in terms of jobs, but also in terms of your own safety. And then even if you date back further to wherever the heck we come from, we were taken. Yeah. So I think in today's world, that's why we have to, at any degree, capture where we are so the next generation knows because we don't want to lose that because your story is very powerful because like you're like you said your first generation i don't I, I know you said did you say removed is that what you said removed what the word you said first generation removed or did i hear that my oh mind? i
0: i don't understand those yeah okay <laughs> designation
1: all right well <laughs> like anyway, cousin
0: twice removed i don't know what that means
1: well you're you're <laughs> the um first generation in your family to be born in america
0: correct yeah
1: okay um, but like, there's so much power in like your story here and how much of that still connects to where your parents come from, because at least the way you tell it, I see you in both spaces.
0: That's mm. just oh, for spaces. sure. Yeah. I mean, bicultural, multicultural, all of the above. Um, I love it. and I, I find more and more Asian Americans connecting over that, which makes me,
1: mm-hmm.
0: it, it warms my heart to know that we are learning you know as we're now becoming fully grown adults like a lot of us from my generation that we're able to figure this out in this new space that we were born into um so wait pardon my ignorance but how how tough is it for you personally to trace your lineage like I don't know if anyone in your family has tried and I know that at some point every root has I'm sure a, a stopping point because you're just like either taken or don't know or erased history?
1: Well, I feel very blessed and fortunate in the sense that on both my mom and dad's side, everybody on both those sides are very much rooted in family. Mm. And um, on my dad's side in particular, they've been able to trace it back generations, like at least four generations back where there's a plot of land that my dad's family owns in Arkansas Mm. where like my great, great, great grandmother um, is buried there
0: oh wow! yeah
1: and we have um, family reunions every other year so on that side of the family we're very much connected but we can't specifically trace it back to where in Africa there's mm. a story a myth who knows where it were at least from what I've been told on my dad's side it starts in South Carolina in the Gullah Island area mm. uh, from what I've been told But my mom's side, I don't know that deep either. But what I will say is that I I can trace it back to at least like my great grandparents. There's photos, there's stories. Mm. And I also feel very blessed in the sense that like on both sides of my um, mom and dad's side, um, not only have I known my grandparents, I've known their siblings. And even um, shout out to my cousins because uh, tomorrow I am going to Tahoe. And Woo! my cousins, they're going to be out there too. So I'm going to meet up with them. Um, but it's cool. Cause like when I, when I connect with them and stuff, mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh, cause basically my grandmother had three sisters and they're all gone now. And mm-hmm. all of us were the descendants of them. Mm-hmm. So it, it's as if like, imagine you and your siblings, your guys' grandkids are kicking it. Mm-hmm. Like that's us. We're the descendants of them. And like, it's four generations deep now on that side. Wow. So I just feel very fortunate that like my family and friends close to me, we value that and we want to hold on to that. And we're getting better at even like keeping the story going, but we can only take it back so far. Yeah. Because, I mean, shit, back in the 1800s, they didn't have iPhones. They were just like tearing families apart.
0: They didn't have cameras. Right. And this is like, you know, I was talking to... Uh, my friend Peter today about how photography is a form of storytelling in that it preserves the legacy of families of people to be passed down and for people who did not have access to photography or who weren't seen as worthy subjects of being photographed historically have erased visual history right and for for me personally my family trees so I distinctly remember growing up like it was like fourth or fifth grade, we had this assignment where our teacher, um, and I grew up in San Jose with a lot of other immigrants, mind you, I didn't go to like a completely white school or anything like that, but our assignment was to go home and trace our family tree and talk to our parents and our grandparents and whoever we could. That was our project was to recreate our family tree. And I distinctly remember going home And not even bothering to ask my mom because I knew that it ended at my grandparents. I do not know what I have. We literally have one picture of each of my grandparents in existence, and it's the one we put on the altar, and I do not have any visual evidence of anything above that. No great anythings nothing not even a story I can't even tell you their name I can't tell you where they're from like this is kind of the scar I think of a lot of Vietnamese refugees is that they want to erase their past they want to leave a lot of it behind because a lot of it involved a lot of loss a lot of hurt Um, and they wanted to start a new life I know many Vietnamese people like my, my generation who only speak English even though their parents literally came from Vietnam years before they were given birth wow. because their parents wanted so badly for them to start a new life and to forget and not be burdened by this country that essentially they lost and mm. they had to flee because it was no longer theirs. So yeah, that family tree did not look very full. There was- it only had like maybe you know 10 or 16 people on there. But anyway. Man. You should know, we did, know- should we sorry go finish that thought?
1: No, I was gonna say I know we're gonna be wrapping up soon, but everything we shared today just makes me think about what we were gonna talk about about compassion. And I
0: think we'll get there
1: stories and sharing like these different perspectives on lives to me shows the importance of. Listening and not assuming
0: sorry dog go ahead it's
1: okay no <laughs> and I think when you listen as opposed to making us assumptions and judgments that's a way to grow compassion
0: yeah so, 100% about that. should we do a quick update on the the state of listen for a change and and okay. how things are going yeah so uh you're on the board
1: I am and we have some changes <laughs> of the board we did Yeah, we did. We did. We have new people, new stuff, new stuff, new people, new people, new perspectives, new perspectives. They're awesome. They're awesome. Like my and they're
0: awesome, and we can't wait to introduce them to you. But we have three individuals: we have Nima, we have Ananya, and we have Nicole, who have joined our board of directors. So amazing things! This is a huge score for us. We've been trying to build our board out for the better part of two years, I would say. Um, And we've just been searching far and wide for the right fit, the right people to help us create this amazing organization that we can share with you all. Um, And it starts with the board, really, like it starts at that level. And I'm, I'm excited. I'm thrilled. They're great. We've already had one meeting with them. What did you think? We can't talk too much about the specifics, but we just- Yeah, yeah.
1: all I'll say right now, though, is like, I just appreciate the level of like dedication and intentionality they all have shown so far. And I'm just excited for us to expand and just grow collectively as a board with now new people and for all of us to grow closer and build up the organization together. So I'm just excited.
0: Totally. And- we have another round of storytelling in the work story hours. And so it, it's not too late for folks out there to submit their stories, but we're yes. rethinking storytelling in the way that we're, we're approaching it.
1: Yes. Pandemic has
0: forced our hand and, <laughs> um, for better, and I'm not going to say for worse, but really for better, we are thinking about new ways that we can get stories that you don't hear in your day-to-day life to you. So that we can reflect upon it so that we can give these voices and these human lives validity so that we can learn and be more well-rounded, compassionate human beings at the end of the day. Um, Yeah. And then season two of the podcast is in the works, believe it or not. Um, (laughs) It's going to take a while because, you know, all things nonprofit move. (laughs) <laughs> at a glacial base they but gotta
1: move at the pace they need to just be got you
0: know because yeah. we want to bring we want to bring quality stuff um yeah. i'm really proud of season one and everyone who's a part of it shout out to Day and isaac who really helped um coordinate produce the whole thing but yeah we got another round we got more stories coming your way so stay tuned
1: definitely stay tuned and stay excited and you know just keep keep rocking with us
0: yeah, yeah. And do you remember, do you remember the phrase we would always end our story hours with?
1: Oh my gosh. I do not.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, I might even mess it up because it's been that long since we've had an in-person story. I know. We would always end our story hours with, ooh, I need, okay. So a, a story untold is merely a thought
1: oh that's what it was You're that right. was
0: what we always ended with and so keep telling your stories because if you mm. keep it to yourself it is just a thought
1: yes. and
0: thoughts yes. are not wrong and thoughts are not bad but stories have ripple effect throughout your life and your community so yes. take that with that. you your <laughs> tie out
1: Bye.
0: peace y'all <laughs> bye